Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Each episode, I sit down with an inspiring person from the magic community. We hang out on their kitchen table to talk about Magic the Gathering as they share stories from the journey of their lives. This is episode 16. In this episode, I'm talking to the beard master, Chris Van Meter. Chris is an analytical thinker of the game and has a math and computer science background. He's also affectionately known for his bright red beard and it's rumored to give Chris special powers. Chris is not only a strong competitor in Magic, he's also an avid teacher, writer, and commentator. I really enjoyed sitting down with Chris to record this a few months back. Please enjoy my conversation with Chris Van Meter. Hi everyone, welcome to Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today we're here with Chris Van Meter. Chris, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. We are sitting here in the lovely red room of Card Kingdom on a sunny day, and we're all out there catching a few Pokemon, right? A few. (laughs) A few. (laughs) That's great. Well, I wanted to just get started with you and jump right in. Chris, could you tell us about how you got started playing Magic? Uh, Well, I first started playing Magic, what feels like a million years ago, when I was a freshman in high school, back in 1996. Uh You guys can figure out how old I am just from that. (laughs) But I actually started with the old Decipher Star Wars card game. So, it was a very complicated game. You had to have like multiple tables worth of space to set up all your space locations Uh and battles with like starships and Jedi. But I was really into Star Wars with my friend at the time and the card shop that we went to always had these people playing Magic the Gathering. So, we first like kind of saw what it it was, um, how the game was played, started talking with people, learned how to play and... uh, just had a bunch of people donate us some cards, so we built our decks and would play against each other and have fun. Cool. But I took the cards home and showed my parents. And my mom is like a really big fantasy buff, really into Tolkien, um, that sort of things. And so she just like caught on to it really fast. We went out and bought some cards, started playing with my mom. And one day I come home from school and she's just like, hey, let's play magic. I'm like, okay, that's cool. We can play some magic. Yeah. And she starts out, she puts a fertile, fertile growth, uh, fertile ground on one of her lands plays Earthcraft, Uh and then plays Sacred Mesa, and makes infinite Pegasus tokens. (laughs) And I just have like a 79 card deck full of like all the red, white, and blue cards that I owned, unsleeved Uh that I'm playing with. And she just beat the crud out of me with this (laughs) infinite combo deck that she found in one of the Inquest magazines that I had laying around the house. So, I I took her deck into the shop the next time I went, beat everybody, was told that I wasn't allowed to play the deck there anymore. That's too funny. But that was my first foray into magic was my mom building you know, an infinite combo net deck back before there was the net <laughs> and just beating me silly with it. That's amazing. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Well, how does how does your mom feel now that you are like such a highly skilled player? And do you guys still play? Uh, yeah, we still play every now and then. Uh, she loves it. Uh, I actually first got the competitive itch with chess. So, I started mm-hmm. out playing chess when I was in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, played in like all the state championships, national championships. Uh, my team even placed fifth in the nation when I was in seventh grade. When I was in eighth grade, I actually got selected for a team to go up to Canada and represent the U.S. Wow. playing in a U.S. versus Canada middle school chess bout. I uh, played all throughout high school, but just like never really furthered on with it because I got into magic and just started playing magic. Awesome. Awesome. So, you made that transition and magic has been kind of your go-to hobby ever since? Yeah, ever since. Just off and on. I've never really sold my collection Mm -hmm. uh, completely. So, thankfully, I still have all the cards now that they've, you know, double, tripled, quadrupled in value. So, that that makes it easy to play. Yeah. But yeah, I've just always came back to magic and my mom's really happy about it. She's happy that I am doing something that I love Mm -hmm. uh, and... A lot can be said for being able to do something you love. 
That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. I think I read somewhere that you studied math. You're a math major. I did. So I went to college for one year. Uh-huh. Uh, I graduated uh, early. So at 17, I went off to school, uh-huh. uh, started out with a math major with a minor in computer science, uh-huh. as well as played football. So I went to oh. Whitworth College in Spokane. Oh. Uh, and after the football season was over and I didn't have coaches telling me that I needed to go to class, <laughs> I just didn't go to class. <laughs> so much like most people who are too smart for their own good, I just lost my grants and scholarships and just been a normal working man ever since. <laughs> normal working man. Well, you are very, you're very smart. I mean, I mean, I can definitely tell math, computer science background. Yeah. Analytical, smart, logical. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, the magic community is very lucky to have you as a personality on the pro scene. So that's great. And what other formats do you play? Uh, well, I play all of the formats uh, for the most part. The only format that I'm not really into is commander. Uh-huh. Um, but I enjoy playing Commander, so it's a weird relationship. I'm a very competitive person, yeah. and when I play a game, I want to try and be the best at whatever it is I'm doing. One of the reasons that I just don't actually play, play World of Warcraft anymore is I'm not able to balance Magic and some other type of game where you can be competitive at uh-huh. it, because I want to put all my effort into whatever I'm trying to do. Right. So with Commander, like I built a Commander deck. I built Rafelos before they rebanned him after they unbanned him, <laughs> um, and it was just really awesome, super competitive. But that's just like not really in the spirit of the format. Right. So I, I I have an understanding of game design. I realized that Commander is the best thing that's ever happened for Magic, and yeah. it's boomed since Commander was transitioned from EDH. And I enjoy playing it, but with other people's decks because then I get to see what they're doing and the things that they like to have fun with, rather than me just trying to be the best and beat everybody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It must feel great to win a lot, right, Chris? <laughs> it does. It feels a lot better than losing, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely, um, I know that the path to winning is learning from failure and learning from losing. Absolutely. And you had talked a little bit about an article a while ago on SCG. You were talking about your transition from kind of being a local grinder into saying, okay, I'm going to be really competitive now and getting into that pro scene. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so before I started having success uh, in competitive magic and taking it more seriously, I was just, you know, your local grinder. I would, you know, win all the FNMs, top eight, all the PTQs, could never close because I was more interested in getting out of the tournament so that I could trade and Mm -hmm. make money off of the trades that I was making. Once I started playing in the Star City Opens, uh, all that changed. So I was living in Wichita. Uh, for a while, playing nanny to one of my best friend's kid uh, after they moved there. And I went to the Open in Kansas City and top-aided uh, with a blue-green Genesis wave deck uh-huh. uh, with Primeval Titans and Frost Titans that a friend Tom Ma had given me. It was uh-huh. a Conley Woods creation. Yeah. But nobody knew, knew who I was. And I was friends with some of the popular players, but like because I had cards and could lend them cards and it was just fun to hang out with rather than being good at Magic. But I top eighted this tournament, got a little notoriety from it. The very next weekend, I won a PTQ and got qualified to go to Nagoya and play Sweet. in the Pro Tour. And then two weeks after that, I top four a Legacy Open down in Knoxville. Wow. So in the span of a month, I went from nobody knowing who I was uh-huh. to top eighting two tournaments, winning a PTQ, and then being asked to start writing at Star City Amazing. on StarCityGames.com. So it was a pretty quick transition. Uh-huh. But I just dove right in. Uh, I had, you know, millions of copies of all of the cards. So I was able to make friends with like Jerry Thompson and mm-hmm. AJ Soccer and all of those caliber of players. 
not only from mutual friends, but also just like having cards that they could use to play in the events. Right. Uh, and so that was one of the biggest ways that I was able to network at the beginning was uh-huh. just by being a nice person and having a bunch of magic cards. Yeah. So not only would I go and play in these tournaments, but I could also help other people have fun playing in the tournaments uh-huh. too. So from there, it was just becoming a sponge. I'd listened to everything that everybody said around me, tried to learn as much as possible, retained what I could. Um, and, you know, I just, Got lucky in a few spots and turned it into to something great. You have been such an influential thinker in the game as well. You think very carefully about the meta, and you write about that in your articles, and then also on your deck decks. You also do commentary. You also uh, did, did a Versus series mm-hmm. with uh, Brian Brown Doohan, BBD. And I always felt that you're, like the way you think about the game and the brews are always very intriguing. Can you talk a little bit about your mindset when it comes to that? Yeah, so I... I'm in a unique role when it comes to magic strategy. So when you look at a magic team or even uh, in Wizards Research and Development, uh, you always have an idea man. There is always a brewer. So these are the people that are going to come up with new ideas, figure out how to attack the format, um, be able to you know create decks from nothing. People like Sam Black is a good example of mm-hmm. that. He's, he's a player that is just going to come up with an awesome idea, whether it's refined or not. We don't know yet, but he's always going to come up with an awesome idea. I, on the other hand, am more of a person that I will take whatever deck is put in front of me and find the 100% best version of that deck for whatever tournament that it's going to be Uh played in. So a lot of my writing is more so of uh, format analyzation. This is what the meta is. These are the important parts of that meta, and this is the type of deck that you want to use to be able to attack that meta, uh, which really helps a lot. Uh, and at some point, I'm hoping to try and turn that into a spot in development at Magic R&D. Cool. Because that's basically what they do. The cards are designed, all right, here's how we make the best versions of them for whatever format we're trying to create. That is very interesting. Chris, what other formats do you play? Uh, well, I do play all of the formats. Uh-huh. Um, Legacy is my favorite format. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't get a whole lot of support mm-hmm. on the large-scale events. But there is a lot of support for it uh, at the local game store size. Uh-huh. So, like, here in the Pacific Northwest, um, there's not a lot of large-scale competitive events. But there are a ton of local game stores that run, like, monthly and bi-monthly events uh, for Legacy, Modern, Popper. Um, and that's just awesome. In particular, Card Kingdom runs a, a Legacy Preservation Series, mm-hmm. which is a cash event that they run, you know, every month or every other month. That's great. I've been able to play in a few of those. Sweet. Uh, and they have some popper events and i've popper is great i really enjoy playing popper Uh uh-huh what do you like about popper Uh, i like that it's i feel like it's more creative than most formats just because like you have this huge restriction on cards that you can use being just commons and there are obviously some commons that are just more powerful than the rest cards like mole drifter are just extremely overpowered um but where you get into those unique cards being very powerful is something that I like, like Combatch Witches and the, the Mono Black deck. Like, you would never really think that that card is super sweet, mm-hmm. but in Popper, it just does so much. It's a 1-3, so it can block effectively. Dealing one damage to a creature is very good because you have a lot of small bodies, yep. as well as it gives you two black pips for a Grand Merchant of Asphodel. So, yeah, cards like that that really didn't do anything before, but now are super sweet because of this more you know particular format. I think that's pretty neat. That's really cool. I like the way that you think about formats. You're thinking about kind of like what cards that people have access to. And from an R&D standpoint, from like a game design standpoint, Mm -hmm. you tackle the game thinking about the game differently. Yeah, I think that helps not only for 
like a game design perspective because that's something that I'm interested in, but just for understanding the format. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that I picked up from Brad Nelson when mm-hmm. I lived in Roanoke mm-hmm. uh, for you know three or four years. There's a stretch where he just top aided like every single standard Grand Prix yeah. and top aided like almost every single standard open. And every single one was with a different deck. Oh. And so it's, he's able to, you know, figure out the whys of the format and then pick the answer for it, tune it, and then beat everybody else who's still trying to figure out why. That is fascinating. It feels such like next level play in order for you to understand how the game works in that fundamental way. That's exactly what it is. So it's, if you, if you can figure out what everybody else thinks the format's going to be and determine what they think is going to be good against that format, then you can plan to beat them, which mm-hmm. is, you know, what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. In, in these larger events, you know, you're still going to have some variance in the early rounds where you don't really know what you're going to play against. Right. But in these 15 round tournaments, the cream generally rises to the top. So as long as you have a deck and a strategy, to beat the players that will be in the event towards the end of the tournament, that's what's going to give you the shot to actually make it into the top eight and close everything out. Like if you go undefeated day one in all of your tournaments but never top eight, then you just didn't pick the right deck for the tournament. Chris, Brian, a Patreon supporter of the show, wants to know, what decks and designs draw you in in Magic? So there are two two types of Magic that I enjoy playing. Uh Fast and loose, going under my opponent as fast as I possibly can. Uh Things like Rabble Red. Um, or just going as big as I possibly can. Things like the Green Red Dragons deck that I was playing for a while, or yeah. Amulet Bloom in Modern, Green Red Tron. Th- those types of decks are what appeal to me in Magic. Uh-huh. So I'm really excited to cast this new Emrakul. Oh, very <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, so right now in Standard, are you playing like Mono White Humans or Red White Humans? Uh, so the two decks that I've been playing in Standard is the uh, Tom Ross's White Red Humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've also just been playing Green White Tokens. Yeah. Uh, it's because it's just the best deck and you uh-huh. really can't go wrong. Like there, yeah. there isn't anything that I fought that I found that is good enough that can go over the top, um, prior to Eldritch Moon. So you just kind of have to play whatever the best is. Right. Very rare, very rarely is there a format where there's just like a de facto best deck mm-hmm. and green white tokens is that, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're Tom Ross and then you should just play whatever humans deck <laughs> you want to play. When Eldritch Moon comes out though, that's going to change. There are a lot of new cards being added. Mm-hmm. Uh, some new tribal synergies are going to be good. Things like spirits are going to be very good. Right. We have some emerge cards mm-hmm. that are going to change the way decks are built and the way you have to play your turns. Uh, Elder Deep Fiend in particular is extremely powerful mm-hmm. and it's going to beat a lot of people until they figure out how to play with the card yeah. and against the card. Mm-hmm. But then you also have Emrakul, the Promised End, which is just, you know, the next coming of the biggest, baddest thing that you can do in standard. Yeah. And a lot of people are going to be real tired of being mind-slavered by the time that card rotates. <laughs> do you just scoop if that gets cast? Do you just scoop? I, there's going to be times where you might be able to win mm-hmm. afterwards. Like if your hand is just really bad and then you top deck into something. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, the mind-slaver is going to beat you. Yeah. You might get an extra turn after that. But, I mean, you're not going to be able to do anything because you're going to be decimated. And they'll have a 13-13. That's right. Even if you're hellbent, they just attack all your best stuff into their best stuff. And of course, they eat everything. Exactly. And then they say, we'll hand over that sideboard. <laughs> right? Well, they changed it. Oh, they changed With it. With Eldritch Moon, you oh, can okay. no longer look at players' sideboards oh, when you control their turn. Okay. Well, there you go. No more of that then. <laughs> so now you don't technically have to concede in the okay. wake of that to, to conceal that information. Um, but I mean, you're usually going to lose if you get mind-slavered and they get a 13-13. <laughs> 
In a pre-TQ last weekend, somehow my opponent uh, was playing blue-red ramp into Kozilek. Mm-hmm. And on both games, he was able to cast Kozilek. And somehow I was still able to survive after two swings. Oh, wow. On both of those games, I was playing green-white token. So I was jumping with plants for days and got milled out to the point where I had like three cards left. But I was able to still fly in with Avacyn and, and win. Nice. Barely, barely. I feel that with Emrakul, that's not going to happen. No, no, no. It's not. The trample just changes the game. Yes. Like, you're not going to be able to jump block two attacks. You're dead. Yep. Yeah. Card spirit, <laughs> real good. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we're th- this podcast will probably be released uh, a few weeks afterwards or something like that, but we'll see. We'll see how the predictions go. It's going to be very interesting to think about it, but uh, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Chris is right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Emrakul is very good. Chris, I was watching um, some commentary that you did for the SEG Open in Atlanta. This was in early June, and you did a phenomenal job. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do to prepare for commentary? Uh, well, the number one thing that I do is play Magic. Yeah. So it helps just to be familiar, not only with the format, uh, but also with the players that are going to be there, uh, since creating a narrative is what's very important for Magic commentary to be good and entertaining for most players, uh, or for most viewers. Uh, on top of that, just kind of, you know, researching the decks. And it also really helps that I write like a weekly strategy column at Star City. So yeah. whether, you know, if I did, just didn't happen to get in a bunch of games this week on Magic Online or be able to go play FNM, at the very least, I'm constantly online reading other articles and doing research for my own article that I'll be, you know, up and ready for whatever format that mm-hmm. I'm going to be covering. So just being a part of the Magic community is the biggest thing that you can do to be prepared for that kind of thing. How much preparation do you do for your written articles? Um, so when I first started writing, it usually would take me like four or five hours to write one of my articles. Uh And I tend to try and aim at around 2000 words, not Mm -hmm. counting deck lists, because I think that's like the limit when I'm reading an article that I start to get bored. Uh So I figured that's what most people are going to be. Um, but now I'm to the point now where I can do it in like two and a half ish, maybe three hours. So I've refined my process over the last four years or so. Uh, but normally I'll do my research while I'm writing. So a lot of times the, the process is I have in my head what I want to write about already. Um, and as I start writing, then I'll, look up the relevant information that I'm trying to to flesh out that I'm not able to just capture already in my own head. Are there some things that you bring into your writing or your commentary that you feel is uniquely you? Like a very Chris Van Meter thing that you want to bring in? Like what's your flavor or style? I think with my with my writing, it's just a, an analytical approach to the metagame. Do a lot of metagame analysis. Um, you know, lots of things that I... Like, I'll write about things that, that I think are going to happen or how the metagame is shaping up. Primarily, I like to look at what has happened in the past with the metagame mm-hmm. and try and predict where the next step is. Because a lot of times, standard is very cyclical. So, you'll have, you know, this strategy becomes dominant. So, this strategy raises to beat that strategy. The next strategy will raise to beat the second strategy, but it's a week to the first strategy. So, that one comes back around. <laughs> so, that type of analysis is something that... I don't think a lot of writers do. Mm. Um, they're more so talking about their experiences and what their findings are as opposed to this is what the meta is. So this is information that might be helpful to you as a reader. Uh, with commentary, I think that the most unique thing that I bring to it is I like to have a lot of fun with the, uh, the advertising segues. Ah. So as the play by play commentator, my job is to, you know, 
clearly explain the game state to the to the the listeners and you know kind of direct the ship of the show into from one space to a next uh and in one of those uh instances is during the matches i do all the segues leading into the different advertisements so i kind of try and have fun with that whether it's Mm -hmm. talking about you know how cool tom ross looks in his scg shirt or uh you know when i was in uh, Worcester a few weekends back for the Legacy Open, we had a sale on non-basic lands, which Legacy is just a format full of non-basic lands. So I got mm-hmm. to use that a lot with the Segway. So I like to have fun, be a little goofy with those. Yeah. Seems to be pretty good. Get a lot of good feedback on it. Yeah. You did a great job. You were It was smooth. Thank um, you. And I think it was also you and Andrew, right? Yeah. Yeah. You and Andrew. It was really fun to listen to that. Chris, I also wanted to ask you about your Twitch stream. You do some unboxings. You also play some other games. You also play some hacks. Yeah. So uh, my my stream, I enjoy doing a lot, uh, but it's it's a big time, bit, bit time consuming. So when I first moved out here to Seattle, um, I'm originally from Tacoma, Washington, uh, but I was living in Roanoke. My girlfriend at the time uh, got a very good job out here in Seattle and moved from New Jersey out out to Seattle. So she was making she's making much more money than I ever <laughs> would have dreamed of making staying in Roanoke. So just was not feasible for me to get her to come down to Roanoke and find something. So uh-huh. we decided to come out here. I left Star City, continued to write for them, but no longer worked in house, uh-huh. was no longer able to do the versus videos. Uh-huh. So one of the things that I wanted to do when I first got out here was to try streaming full time. Mm-hmm. So I tried that out for a bit and, uh, from not being able to keep a consistent schedule because I had other things going on. Uh, it just wasn't, wasn't working out and wasn't able to make as much as I needed to, uh, you know, supplement her income. Uh, I ended up getting a job here at Card Kingdom. So I'm still able to stream and I've turned it more into just like, I don't want to say something that's supplementary, but it's just something that I do when I have time and can arrange and can arrange it. So uh, the streaming is very fun. I do the unboxings. Uh, primarily, they're sponsored, which mm-hmm. is which is cool. So mm-hmm. I get to help advertise for you know different card shops or companies. Right. I uh, have some fun with my wife uh, on the stream playing you know games, so trying to figure out what the cards are. And I've started playing another, another digital card game. So uh, Hex TCG is it's, it's a very fun game, very similar to Magic, which is what drew me to it. But it's a much more seamless experience as a digital game than Magic Online is as a digital game. So it's not it's not as deep as Magic. It doesn't give you that same competitiveness from being able to play in a tournament face to face with your opponent. Uh, but as an online equivalent, I think that it's very good. It's very fun, um, and the community is awesome. I was watching um, your unboxing for Eternal Masters, and you and you and your wife were trying to guess the different uh, cards as they come by. And you, uh, it was funny because like some of those cards, you're like, it's a green rare. You're like, uh. yeah, there's <laughs> like, a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch, like, how, <laughs> but you still got the majority of them, which are pretty sweet. Yeah, it helps that with my job here, I kind of have to know all the magic cards, so yeah. uh, I'm able to to figure that out. We switched to a new game, though, uh-huh. uh, with the last unboxing, we did Shadows over Innistrad, and rather than getting two pieces of information now, she has to describe the art, Oh, and I have to figure out what the card is from the art. So that leads to a lot of funny sentences being said that you wouldn't <laughs> normally say in That's amazing. <laughs> an actual chat. So I'm excited for that. We have a couple uh, unboxings lined up. Up for Eldritch Moon mm-hmm. uh, with a couple other companies that are interested in doing some like sponsored stuff through the Twitch stream and my YouTube channels. Cool. I put everything when it's done. So that is pretty exciting. 
Very cool. And for the listeners, I will have uh, links in the show notes for Chris's Twitch stream and YouTube channel and also his Twitter. So you guys can always check them out there. Chris, perhaps you get asked this a lot. What do you recommend to kitchen table magic players to get to the next level? So I think that uh, the first thing that you can do is try and figure out what the next level is for you. Mm -hmm. Because players have different goals, you know, different strides, different things that, that they want to achieve. So if you if the next level for you is to win a PPTQ, then uh, you know, or anything competitive related, my recommendation would be to read as many magic articles as you can and watch as many magic videos and magic streams as you can. That information is all relatively free outside of the the premium site on Star Cities. I believe the only paid service to get magic content. You're getting magic content from Hall of Fame magic players, mm -hmm. strategy deck lists, ideas they have. It's 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 all great information. Next from that would just be to play as much magic as possible. Mm -hmm. So whether, you know, you're testing with your friends at home, you're going to FNM every week, you're going to play in tournaments during the week, or even just playing on magic online, uh, just playing as much magic as possible is you're the next best thing to try and get to that next that ne that next step. Magic is not an easy game. It's very hard, mm -hmm. and even though it's fun, you still want to, you know, try and be successful at it. If that is what your goal is, mm -hmm. and those are the steps that I'd recommend for somebody to try and to obtain that, you're not naturally going to be better than your opponent. You're going to have to work harder. Yeah, Chris, do you have any advice for brand new Magic players just getting into the game? Yeah, so for brand new Magic players that are just getting into the game, uh, outside of Welcome, this is just the best game that's ever been made and probably ever will be made. Um, I, I don't know, Pokemon Go might actually give it a run <laughs> for its money. But uh, don't get discouraged. Uh, losing is something that everybody does. If you have a bad experience at your local game store, and I highly encourage you to go to your local game store, don't let that deter you from coming back or playing Magic. Um, make sure that you talk with the management or whoever you need to at the local game store if you have a bad experience, because though that's not the norm. They're generally very isolated, and I find that a lot of people tend to just not come back because they have, oh. you know, a one bad experience with somebody at, at the shop. Um, outside from that, play FNM, play Booster Draft, you know, buy, buy your event deck, you know, do whatever you can within your budget constraints to get some cards and start playing. Because most people that think about getting into Magic and then start playing Magic just jump heads first because the game is just so, so awesome, so, mm -hmm. so intricate, so exciting. Um, so my advice would be just to go to your local game store and play. Awesome. Yeah, I, definitely. I lose maybe 80% of my matches. So I lose a lot. But one thing that I've done is that I've done recently to change it is that I will be like, hey, that was a great game. And I will ask my opponent, hey, what did you think about how I played? And nine times out of 10, they're going to be like, hey, this is what happened. Like you did this and I was really surprised about that, but then I drew really well. Or they're going to notice something about me. They're going to say, hey, you know, you drew really poorly. It wasn't really anything you did. You just drew nothing but land the whole time and and it makes me feel a lot better and i'm like oh you know i i kind of get a little bit of the uh get a little bit of insight from the from the other side of the fence and that's also good because it also helps quell some of those like unhappy thoughts <laughs> when you lose you're like oh man that was terrible i suck but no not really you you just got flooded or you know i got the nuts draw and it happens yeah talking with your opponent about it can be helpful uh, it's important to uh, be able to read you know the body language or the tone. So in, mm. in an instance where let's say you did very well and your opponent drew poorly, mm. 
I wouldn't recommend initiating the conversation to yeah. tell your opponent that you did well and oh, they yeah. drew poorly. Uh, but in those instances where you lose and you want to get feedback, it's always great to have a conversation with your opponent. Be understanding that it's not their obligation to try and teach you how to play magic. So if they don't want to interact with you, they might not. But there, there really is never any harm to try and talk with your opponent because once the match is over, like they're a person, like they can be your friend. Like there's a lot more interaction. That's why paper magic is just still so much better than anything digital just because you get that face-to-face interaction, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. I love paper magic in that regard. (laughs) (laughs) Chris, could you share a little bit about what's coming up next for you? Like what's new, like anything that you're working on or planning to do? Yeah, so uh, I just recently uh, signed a deal with Card Hoarder, who you might notice is uh, one of the largest Magic Online bot chains uh, to join their team. So they've put together a professional team. There are seven of us, um, and we are going to be focusing on the SCG tour. So uh, coming up here in season two, I have one more show to cover with Andrew Boswell, who's also a member of the team mm. uh, in Baltimore. Uh, but f- starting from the New Jersey Invitational through the Atlanta Atlanta Invitational. Uh, I have uh, I have one show that I'm going to cover in Columbus in season three, but I will be playing in six of the remaining uh, eight opens and invitationals through, throughout all of season three. So I'm excited to be out battling again. We're going to make a run for the Players Championship at the end yeah. of the year uh, for the SCG Tour, and I think it'll also help my content a little bit, like with the writing. Uh, it's like I said, there's not a lot of large-scale competitive events here on the West Coast, and that's primarily what I tailor my writing for is preparing for those events. So it has been a little bit of a struggle uh, for the last four or five months being out here, not having that fix. Mm-hmm. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. That's really awesome. And can you reveal now who's going to be on that team, or does it have to kind of stay quiet? Or No, yeah, it's already in the open. So oh, okay. it's, it's myself, Andrew Boswell, uh-huh. uh, Chris Anderson, Kent Ketter, Andrew Tenjum, Noah Walker and Jacob Baugh. Great players. Yes, very That's good. wonderful. And and you guys all kind of know each other. I mean, definitely you know Andrew. Yeah, I, yeah, I know Andrew from the coverage. Uh, I'm actually really good friends with Chris Anderson and Kent Ketter. Um, I've worked with Tenjum, Jacob, and uh, Noah before with different decks. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of the players that travel and grind the Magic events know each other in some capacity. Uh, but it's nice in this particular instance, a handful of the players I'm already pretty good friends with. So. That's awesome. So you guys get together like online and do some testing and practice together. Yeah. So we have have meetings via Skype once a week where we talk about you know what we found. We have uh, a chat set up through Slack so we can always be in contact with each other. Cool. Uh, and we because Card Hoarder is a Magic Online bot chain, we have access to all of the cards on Magic Online. Basically, Sweet. so we're able to get decks together and have have our testing sessions and figure everything out. So what what you would normally do with your team or friends locally, you know, meet up at your store or play for a couple hours, we're able to do that just all the time via Magic Online as long as the servers stay stable. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, I know we have to wrap up soon. Um, Chris, I have some rapid fire questions. Sure. Awesome. Okay. Rapid fire question number one, Chris. Of the five colors of Magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what is your favorite color and why? Uh, green is my favorite color and uh, it's because it helps facilitate the two aspects of magic that I enjoy playing. Either very fast with acceleration like Elvish Mystic or very, very big like Primeval Titan. Awesome. And do you have a favorite color combo? Uh, favorite color combo? Probably blue-green. Ooh. Because I also like to draw cards. Ooh. But green-red's not too far behind because I enjoy dragons. Uh-huh. <laughs> so maybe teamer. <laughs> maybe rug. 
Yeah, the man is always usually really bad, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, those are colors that don't usually play well together. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, that's awesome. Question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? Oh, this is a really good question. I think that the one thing that I would change about Magic the Gathering is that... And I don't mean this to be a huge slight on Magic Online, but I wish that there was a better digital client for the game. So having access to the game from the comfort of your own home is one of the things that will help grow the game. In particular, since esports is becoming a real thing and, you know, a multi-billion dollar industry. And we look at, you know, things like CSGO, League of Legends are getting hundreds of thousands of people viewing them through Twitch. Um, Magic not having a comparable digital client is one of the things that is preventing it from growing, mm. in my opinion. But the game itself is actually perfect. I would just, I would want Magic Online to be better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. Chris, question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? A beard. <laughs> okay. A beard. Beard power. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> I would definitely love a beard. I can't grow facial hair to save my life. I actually didn't shave today just to show you <laughs> how much... <laughs> just to show you how much I could have. But uh, you see, I'm like, wait, what? One 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 thousandth of what you have right now? <laughs> okay. You got to start somewhere. Question number four. Chris, what do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? I see more awesome storylines. Uh, since they've changed from the three-set block format to a two-set block format, I think that we're going to get a lot more interconnected stories, similar to how Battle for Zendikar was like its own story, and then Oath of the Gatewatch kind of bled into the Shadows of Innistrad block yeah. with Emrakul and the Gatewatch and Liliana now signing it. So I think we're going to see a lot more storylines like that, which is pretty sweet. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we're going to see a lot more teams. So like I think that for, com for, com teams. for competitive magic, I think that teams are one of the things that's going to help push it over the threshold um, into more mainstream I guess more mainstream is like the term that I would use for mm. it, but it doesn't feel 100% correct. Adding more narratives and things that people can relate to is what's going to make it interesting to watch. One of the big aspects of the other esports like CSGO and League of Legends is that people have these teams that they can root for and it gives them an identity that they can latch on to. Mm -hmm. uh, think if you, if you would for a second how less popular Pokemon Go would be if there weren't the three teams where you had to choose one oh, when it yeah. became time for it. So having these, you know, these entities that you can identify with and root for makes it more watchable, makes it more exciting, also makes it more marketable. So I think that what we're seeing on the SCG tour here with a handful of teams that are organizing and becoming proper teams, that's what the future is going to be for it. There are, there's a big difference between being on an organized team and just being a bunch of friends with t-shirts that you had made. And that's what I think is what we're going to see with the next step. Very cool. Last, Chris, do you have any asks or requests of the audience, like where they can find you on social media or anything you'd like them to think about or consider or do? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Chris underscore Van Meter and on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Chris underscore Van Meter. Uh, and one thing that I would like for people to do is uh, part of my uh, deal with Card Hoarder is starting in August, I'm going to be doing a weekly stream on Wednesday where I'm going to be taking user submitted decks and 
making adjustments to them uh, live on stream and then playing with them on Magic Online. Cool. So I will need users to actually submit their decks. Okay. So make sure you keep an eye out on my social media for that once I start posting for submissions on that. So I want people to send me their sweet brews so I can kind of like what Conley Woods used to do with his deck doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be very similar, uh, but much less formal and just me having fun on stream nice. with, with you there watching uh, live. Nice. Is it going to be standard, modern, legacy, or all of the above? Uh, I think we're going to do p specific formats for each week, mm -hmm. uh, but we will be doing all of the above. I love it. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today on Kitchen Table Magic. I had a blast talking to you. Well, thank you very much for having me. I do appreciate it. I love doing these podcasts. I think it's great to have another form of magic content that you can listen to. Uh, and podcasts in particular help get you through long drives or a long day at work. So make sure you check out the other episodes of Kitchen Table Magic. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chris. Links to CVM's social will be on the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Also, please tune into Chris's stream on Twitch, as well as Card Hoarder's stream. Special thanks to Card Kingdom for allowing us a quiet space to record in the Red Room. If you're in the Seattle area and you want to play games in one of those awesome private rooms, I'll include links in the show notes for both Cafe Mox and Mox Boarding House. Just a couple of announcements before we move into the preview for next week's show. I'd like to take a moment to thank my Patreon supporter, Brian. Brian, I really appreciate all of your support and friendship for me and the show. Also, if you've noticed in this episode, there was a question asked by my Patreon supporter. That's one of the neat perks of being a supporter of the show. I asked my Patreon supporters what questions I should ask guests, and also what guests they'd like to see interviewed. If you're enjoying the show and would like to be a supporter, please head on over to patreon.com slash kitchentablemagic. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic... As I was in my pre-college era in the 2005 to 2010 era, I was really active in the legacy and extended community. I was going to as many PTQs back then, and those were the big PTQs back before they were PPTQs. It honestly made me so much better at playing Magic, I think, just because you're around these players that their skill level is so much higher and there's so much more stakes on the line. Mm -hmm. So you just kind of pick it up so much faster in terms of, I need to be this good to compete at this level. You see where that bar is so much earlier on. Mm -hmm. And I think that led to me having a really solid foundational understanding of Magic that has now led to my skill and commentary. Next time on Kitchen Table Magic, I'll be sitting down with Josh Monks, a local Seattle player, all-around good guy and skilled commentator. I recently learned from Josh that he doesn't really own any decks, but he's willing to borrow almost any deck for any format. I think it's a brilliant way to learn about the game in a fundamental level, and I think it's contributed to his abilities providing commentary for Card Kingdom's weekly legacy events and tournament event streams. In the interview, Josh also shares some great advice about how to improve at Magic. I hope you'll join us all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. <laughs>